more about co-housing with Lynn Morstead and Kelly Soika. Co-housing Houston is a multi-generational, community-minded group of people who share the values of connection and sustainability. We're developing the first co-housing project in Texas, and we're really glad you found us today. I'm great. How are you? I'm great. And we've actually got a guest here today. We've got Lou Bowers dialing in from Portland and we're going to introduce him here in a minute. But Lou, just just give us a hello with your voice so we know what your voice sounds like. Hello world. This is Lou Bowers. All right. <laughs> Very different from me and Kelly. So I know. It's so nice though. I like having guests on, especially from outside of Texas. It's really exciting because Lou has been uh, part of the co-housing world for a long, longer than than our little co-housing Houston, and yeah. also um, comes from a co-housing rich environment. So it's exciting. So you know, I met Lou Bowers at the recent national co-housing conference in Madison, and that guy just kept showing up everywhere. He was in all these breakout groups I attended. He was even on a panel uh, group that I attended one time. And one thing I noticed is that every time he was there, he said many things that I found myself filling my notebook with. So he, it didn't matter what the topic was, whether it was rental policy, resales, or the whole soup to nuts, beginning to end and moving in beyond. Um, he always had insight. So when I came back home and I started thinking about our season two, and Kelly and I were talking about who we wanted to interview in our season two, I said, well, we got to get Lou on the line as soon as possible. So here he is, uh, <laughs> episode number two, and um, welcome, Lou. Hello. Hello. Hi, Lou. Hey, Lou, I wanted to ask you, so I know Lynn was able to hear at the conference, but I wanted to ask you to tell us a little bit about your community experience, um, because I think that that will probably help explain why we, we see you as somebody who really understands transition times in community. So sure. do you want to give us your like, you know, quick path to co-housing? Sure. Um, well, I yeah, make a long story short. Uh, I've had a career that has involved uh, what I call city making. I've been in working for cities, sort of incenting development. It's been downtown type development, not residential. But through that, I did learn the development process pretty well. And I do understand real estate finance. Mm -hmm. For that, I was very involved in the cooperative movement. I worked uh, with the several worker co-ops and I helped set up the National Consumer Co-op Bank. So I really got the ethics of co-housing and cooperatives and participatory democracy through that. Um, and that has been a longstanding theme that's run through my, my career. How do you set up really good institutions and places that um, allow people to thrive? Then in terms of co-housing specifically, my wife and I were founding members of PDX Commons, which is a senior co-housing community here in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Um, we are, uh, we've been in our building for five, five years at this point. It's wow. an urban infill project. We have 27 units, about 38 people, and it's on a half block. So it's a very uh, sort of, a, again, I said infill. It's built lot line to lot line. We have 45,000 square feet of built space, and it's senior. So our average age runs from 60, 64 to 84, I guess. So we mm -hmm. have like that kind of span. Nice. And it's a really good community. 
Well, that's great. Well, you know, one of the things that we wanted to focus on today, Lou, and I, I have a feeling we're going to be talking to you many times uh, during season two, because you do have a lot of really great areas that you have background in. But the thing we wanted to start it out with today is really talking to us a little bit about some of the things that we're going to be facing now as we transition from a very intensely physical design focused community to now turning our heads towards the social architecture, if you will. And it seemed like when we were in this intense phase of designing and getting contracts signed and permits issued, et cetera, it all felt very, very urgent and very time critical. So it was easy for to get the whole group rallied around and get involved in and roll up our sleeves and digging around through all this stuff because we felt this kind of urgency around everything. And now I'm wondering, okay, now the builders have come onto the site. It's gonna, it, it feels like there's gonna be kind of a lowering of pressure, which is good, but we we are trying to figure out how do we, you know, still create um, things for us to do in this community, and we kind of help people transition. So that's kind of one piece of my question. And and as these, we have this small group that are coming in now at the very end who have not been a part of this intense upfront and not had the chance to get to know us. You know, if you could just speak a little bit about how we manage this phase uh, with, with these people coming in and us shifting energy levels? Yeah, that's a really good question, Lynn. Uh, let me talk about that second part first, and then we'll talk about the changes from development to actually living together. Um, integrating new members into the community um, becomes increasingly difficult as the community has longer life. Um, there's just more history and more uh, background that they have to know about. So I'm sure you have like a pathway to membership that helps mm -hmm. them understand how they get to join. Sure. But then I think there's a whole nother stage, which is kind of, um, I'm not sure what the right name is, um, orientation to the new community. And mm -hmm. in our case, we, we make sure that the person has a buddy after mm -hmm. they're a member so that they have one person they can talk to. We actually have a pretty detailed membership handbook that we try to write down a lot of those things which don't have to do with becoming a member, but have to do with what does it mean to be a member? Um, and a lot of it is, you know, somewhat expectations, but a lot of it's more informal. Like mm. what's the informal stuff around meals? You know, what's the informal stuff around pets? Um, we also find that when new people come in uh, to like your, your business meeting, it's often the case that they have a lot of questions and they can ask what appears to be some real basic questions and can can kind of knock the flow of the meeting off, you know, because they have information. So we make sure to orient those new people actually before the meeting. We start a half hour early with the new people wow. and we go through, this is what's going to happen. Here's kind of the flow. Here's this. So when they get to the meeting, they have a lot of those basic questions answered. And that way the group can continue to do its work and the new people can fit in. We also yeah. do a specific debrief with them after the meeting to say, okay, what questions you have about, you know, how the group does its work. So those are specific ways and keep touch with them. This new member thing, you're talking about a, like a two or three month process. Okay. I wonder. Two or three week process. So yeah. I guess the thing that I was thinking initially, and I know in our pre pre discussion, you were kind of steering me in a different direction. I have to say, I had been thinking because I've never lived in co-housing, that this member care and feeding or buddying process would be different when we move in than it is now during this building phase. So 
And and you were saying to me, you think it's very similar. Can you say something about that? Yeah, the, the integrating new members, I think, is a continuing challenge or opportunity for new communities. Um, I think there is some difference. When you move in is a major transition of milestone. And the mm -hmm. kind of leadership the community needed during the development phase, what you talked about, you had to have quick decisions, you had people, it helped out people that understood something about the development process. That's radically different from the kind of skills you need to live together and build a community. Mm -hmm. Those skills are much more soft skills, they're much more group process skills, they're much more, um, you know, have to do with caring and hearing all the voices, and you have more time to make the decision. So the types of leadership changes for the community. Mm -hmm. So that's an important recognition for the community. And we can talk about how to help that change happen. Um, but in terms of new people coming in, we've been here five years. And every time we have a unit that turns over and we've had five units turned over, we have to do the same kind of integration as a new member at your stage. Okay. We just have, we have more history they have to get integrated to. We actually have a history about the, we, the history. Somebody wrote the history of the project so that, again, people could be updated on that. So it's really the same issue. Uh, it just it keeps going. So if you get it right now, you can have it right for, for ongoing. That really tracks with my experience with Gray Rock um, mm -hmm. because we had uh, we were buddied up with uh, an existing, you know, member, one of the leaders in the community. Excellent. And um, she showed up at our doorstep with a physical, you know, book. Um, mm -hmm. Excellent. The other thing we do is is we we um, for new people coming in, we kind of give them a year where we don't ask them to take a leadership role. Oh, we give them a year to kind of get oriented and you know join committees and see how things work. And then on the second year, we 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 see if they're available to be in leadership roles. Because again, you want people to have their feet underneath them before you you know put them on the front uh, to represent the community or take more responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Well, Lou, this is I find this really, really fascinating, this um the the similarities that you're painting because it really makes me think about this next phase. Um and then beyond is that what we're setting up because because everybody is really a full um gonna be a full member that maybe we need to be thinking about some of those members who've even come in in the last year or so is that maybe they need uh, a little bit more of a kind of a buddying up and shoring up uh, their understanding. And I'm also thinking about the, um, this, this book that you're talking about. And, and one of my fears about that is I feel like we've already got so much documentation that nobody ever reads what really and you know kelly i'm afraid for our listeners here kelly just got knocked off by our recording uh tool so she'll be back in a second but kelly was describing how when she arrived at gray rock in colorado somebody came to the door and they presented her with this book and i'm thinking oh my god people how are they going to read that thing you know they won't but they'll have it available <laughs> And, okay. and they'll, 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 they can they can use it as necessary, you know, as yeah. needed. But yeah, you can yeah. give them an overview. You know, how are things organized? How are things set up? How are decisions made? Right. Um, you know, what is the power? How does the power flow in the community? That's a kind yeah. of a personal discussion you can have with people. Um, okay. And that's going to change over time. Uh, but the well, point you were talking about, go ahead. No, I was going to say, let's, you're, you're starting to tap into the conversation about power, which leads us to the next thing yeah. I know we really wanted to touch on today. And this is 
the leadership, you know, and who is in leadership during the, the phase before you move in and the phase after you move in. I mean, to me, based on my corporate experience, I call that the founders versus the operators and the founder mentality, the founder skill set, the founder passions are very different than the operators. And I know that's something that you've identified and have been very conscious of. Maybe you can tell us about what you did at PDX Commons. Sure. You are exactly right. And this this is classic so organizational development theory. This applies to any organization. Yeah. It's not unique to co-housing. You need different skills for development phase. You're going to have meetings under a lot of time pressure. Um, my guess is the leadership in many cases is going to be more masculine in types of its ap approach. They're going to be very logical. Uh, you're going to have to make decisions under pressure. When you're in this living together phase, you're going to have more time. Your mm -hmm. meetings should look differently. You really want to emphasize making room for everybody. So you might want to have more rounds. You want to hear from mm -hmm. those voices that didn't mm -hmm. feel confident speaking about, about mm -hmm. the issues in development. And the other thing is the nature of the issues will change. Mm -hmm. When you're in development, in many cases, there's actually a right answer. You know, let's here, here's what the professionals tell us to do. Can we all get on board? When you're in the living together phase, it's much more about balancing everybody's opinion. There is no right. What's yeah. the appropriate policy for guns? What's the appropriate policy for pets? So you really need to hear all voices. Mm. Um, so the biggest debate we had had to do with, you know, the, the finishes for the kitchens. Because people really had a personal preference there. It didn't have mm -hmm. to do with anything buying land or hiring consultants. So mm -hmm. how do you get? And the people that did that initial leadership were crucial to the community. I mean, they were in the community. They have power and power mm -hmm. is good. Power is the ability to help the group get things done. Right, right. But they were also servants of the group. So once you move in, I think you might want to talk about how do we consciously mm -hmm. bring new people into the power? How do we transfer that power? And maybe you have a policy or an agreement that says, let's try to bring new people in rather than just asking the yeah. old people to stay on. Yeah, I really love that, given that I'm one of the very old and weary people in this, um, because I uh, I really am looking forward to a surge of new blood and new you energy. You need a break. I need, need a, a break. break. I'm looking. Yeah. yeah. And I'm very, very conscious of the fact that I'm a, ma a founder type. So I'm not I'm not worried. But I, what there I kind of, there's kind of two sides to this equation. I don't know if you can speak a little bit about. So there's a one side of the equation is the personality who the founder who wants to stay in control, who even though they may not be a great operator, they're just uncomfortable letting go. And then on the other side, you've got the people who in the community have been very well taken care of by the leadership and the energy to date who really have gotten comfortable with it. And it's not real necessarily healthy for the community, but there's a certain inertia that's going to be hard to, to, to work against to get others to step up because of whatever reason, either a time commitment or just, you know, not, not feeling comfortable with the skills. So maybe we can talk about those two different sides, the ones who don't want to step up and the ones who don't want to step yeah. down. Yeah, you're, you're right. Um, if you have founders, they're having trouble letting go, then that's a real issue for the community. Mm -hmm. And you want to be very gentle because they've done a lot for the community, but you want to help them realize what new roles may be available to them. It also helps in our group. We had a process consultant that worked with us from the very beginning, helped us decide what kind of decision making, helped us facilitate some of the tough meetings. 
And that might be the kind of topic that a, a professional can help you with. How mm -hmm. do you talk about transition of power? The mm -hmm. other thing going to happen is that transition of power means that some of the norms and some of the way things are done are going to change. Right, right. New leaders are going to have different ideas. They may have different standards. So mm -hmm. the community learns how to adjust to that and things will change. And you'll find that the world doesn't fall apart yeah, when they change. Yeah. But in our community, um, the, the existing founders, the four or five people that really put a lot of work in during development, we all agreed that once we moved in, we would all not take any of the major offices. Mm -hmm. Step down. And that, one, gave us some relief. Yeah. But it also, too, created a vacuum that required other people to step up. Right. So we were, by not doing it, we were encouraging other people to step up and take yeah. it. And you really have to almost buttonhole people and say, hey, Joe, you know, you'd really be good at the, at the finance committee because you're yeah. good or you'd be good at our convener. You have to ask people. You and have then to you ask a new crop of leadership. So that's good because I, I also have found that does work best in our group as well as being very specific. Don't just do a, you know, cast the net out because people don't. Exactly. Ask. Don't just ask for volunteers. No. But let me ask you this. To that point, so if you buttonhole people and you say, hey, you'd be great at this, then have, did you guys put in some sort of, you know, kind of like a, uh, you know, knowledge transfer sort of process or, you know, a, a kind of a sharing role or you know, time period where you, you were helping them and coming alongside or how did that work? Yeah, we, we've gotten better and better at that actually. We weren't that good in the beginning, but we now have a, um, a system where we select our leaders, our conveners, we call them for the committees, a month ahead of when they take office. Mm. And so there's actually a month when the person that's, you know, the, the, the to be elected person and the older person, the existing leader are running parallel. And mm. that allows them to do meetings together, to sit down and talk, and it creates an actual month-long transition period. Okay. Uh, we also do an orientation for all new conveners and any member that's interested. And there we go over the structure oh. and the decision-making policies, and you know what are the role, what are the roles expected of conveners? How do you use the website? Where do you find information? That's a whole yeah, big yeah. deal. We do yeah, that yeah. every year so that new people get can get up to speed. Oh, very good. Okay. And we also have done the mentoring. We've done co-leaders. Yeah. Uh, and we've done, I think, older leader mentoring. Sometimes yeah. the co-leader thing doesn't work so well. It, it can okay. get kind of muddy, but the so, mentoring so, is better. So, Lou, we just, we've just got equipment going on the site this, this month. We've got, you know, an 18-month possibly period to, to, you know, ahead of us. At what point in time... So we're, you know, right now we're continuing to do, maybe we need to shore up right in the near term, kind of like our member buddying process to get them kind of lined up. And I love the idea you talked about half hour before any kind of big meeting to do. I think that's a great idea that we could just pick up today and run with. But um, at, at what point do you, do you start, you know, talking to people about getting them ready that, if the if the current leadership says, hey, we're all going to step down on day one and getting them, at what point would you say, is that now? Is that six months from now? How much time does that, would you say that might take? Well, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm putting you on the time? spot there. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, I think the move-in is a pretty good benchmark okay. for the change. Because uh, you're still going to have during the construction period, you're yeah. going to have change orders. You're going to no, have a I lot think, of stuff. It, you're I think still it, need. 
Yeah, right? I think it's pretty clear. Until we move in, we don't switch over. Right. But right. at what point do we start telling people, okay, we're going to switch horses, and here's the target date? I, yeah, I again, I would do it on the first not or the first term after you move in. Now you're going to have a, a one year uh, warranty period. So uh -huh. the development people are still going to have to be involved, but gotcha. it's not going to take anywhere near as much community time. Okay. The amount of time available, the amount of time development will need will drop down. And these other issues, because now you have these 18 months, now's the time to look back at these at these agreements you've made and mm -hmm. say, are they fleshed out? Do the new people understand them? Do we have yeah. the right set of agreements here? Do we all agree? Uh, another thing about the new members, have they been oriented in the decision making? Yeah. As the, the old members, because uh, they need to be up to speed, whether right. it's the theocracy or consensus. You yeah. want to make sure they That's know how good. that works. You know, one small question before we kind of wrap things up here, and that is when, if I start thinking about one thing we had decided not to do during the development phase is have term limits per se on any of the roles. But I'm wondering after you move in, is that something that you guys have elected to do after move in? Um. Yes, uh, we did. Because again, if you want to incent new leadership, term limits are, are helpful. We actually okay. had a one year term limit and we've now stretched it to two. Okay. Because we found that two years works pretty well. And we've had a few exceptions, but anyone who's been in their role two years or more, we consciously say, hey, is it time for you to yeah. change? Because it's very easy for people to get comfortable in that role and for the community to get comfortable with them in that role. And they mm -hmm. just sort of stay. And yeah. I don't. I think if you're going to do participatory decision making, you also need participatory leadership. So that yes. means you really need to bring new people into the leadership. And a term limit is a way to do that. Now, we've had people cycle out and cycle back in. Sure. But they cycle into new roles. So they mm -hmm. may have been the convener of the okay. HOW before. And they come back as finance or they come back as indoor common space. So trying to get people to diversify Nice, nice. I love it. Well, I'm looking forward to changing my hat, <laughs> <laughs> my persona here. Well, Lou, I can't thank you enough. Are there any party? I'm afraid poor Kelly has now texted me that they've oh, lost no. power. So they have they have no power in their building. I don't know what's happened over there. It's beautiful, clear uh, skies here in Texas. We're thankful for not being in Florida uh, this week with the hurricane bearing down on them. But I, I don't know what happened. But are there any kind of parting thoughts um, that you would uh, have for us at this particular stage? Yeah, I mean, again, it's a little philosophical, but I think it's on point. Um, leadership is essential for a community. Um, and people often think, well, for a participatory community, you know, we don't need leaders, but mm. you do. And leadership is just a basket of skills. What you don't want is entrenched leadership or leadership that's domineering. But you want to reward your leaders by being good followers. And th that way you encourage them to do it again. You want to make sure not to attack the leaders just because they're leaders. Mm -hmm. So how do you create a positive model of leadership Oh boy, now we've got Lou locked up. So I don't know, uh, everybody, what is happening here on our recording. I am going to, um, I think, I think it's me actually that Lou, I'm sorry. I think it was me that uh, had an internet blip. There must be something going on in Texas here. Um, so you were talking about participatory leadership. Right. 
and the importance of, of rewarding leadership, it's it's a very important skill. We went through a period in our community where leaders really felt dumped on and it was really hard. Um, and so we had to do a lot of healing around that to encourage new people to take up those leadership roles. It's hard to be a leader because you're taking additional responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that, that weighs on you. Um, so that's why you, again, want to rotate it so you don't burn people out so that they're available yeah. to do it. So try to learn how to be a good leader and how to learn how to be a good follower in your community. That's a great message, a good follower so and a good leader. So thank you so much, Lou. And I hope if this was okay for you, uh, we'll call on you again. And um, maybe we can talk about some of these other interesting hot topics. Like uh, I loved what you had to say about uh, resale and rental policies and yeah, lots yeah. to be talked about. So uh, thank you. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. You take care. Carolyn, take care and say goodbye to Kelly for me. Okay. Thanks for stopping by today. We're so glad you clicked on our episode. For more information about our project, Co-Housing Houston, go to www.cohousinghouston.com and subscribe to our newsletter. For general information about co-housing, we like cohousing.org. We're active on social media, so check out what's happening on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under Co-Housing Houston.